0: The Cost of Goods Told podcast is made possible by the following sponsors. Duke's Premium Meats Home Delivery is committed to providing you with the best quality meat delivered right to your door. Offering certified Angus beef, grass-fed beef, Wagyu, and many more premium options, nobody beats Duke's Meats. Make sure to check out all that Duke has to offer at dukespremiummeats.com. Criswell Culinary aims to create a new standard of unique, affordable hot sauces that satisfies the more developed cravings of today bernie brand texas style hot sauce is a boldly layered sauce with density and personality to proudly represent texas go to berniebrand.com to find a retailer near you that's bernie b-o-e-r-n-e brand.com. dot zero point organics grows and supplies microgreens for over thirty major restaurants in the houston area consistently perfect quality and flavor and appearance their microgreens will be the best you or your customers have ever had every single time. Go to zero-pointorganics.com. Welcome to the Cost of Goods Told podcast. My name is Connor. I'm a chef media producer. I am joined, as always, by my co-producer, Darren Lafferty. Happy MLK Day. That's right. Happy MLK Day. We got a couple birthdays coming up, too. Your birthday's coming up, Darren. My right. wife's birthday is today. Aura's birthday was yesterday, I think. Yeah, Harlem Road. Yeah. Um, This week's guest is uh, super special. It's the uh, Houston food podfather himself, (laughs) uh, Eric (laughs) Sandler. I love it. Um, editor of Culture Map, uh, thank you so much for coming on our podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I assume that we have uh, people, especially like Blake, who actually is in town today. From Tennessee. From Tennessee, yeah. uh, who's an avid fan of yours, has been on our podcast, but has talked about your podcast and he listens to it in Tennessee. Um, but we have a lot of listeners that that have both. And if we don't have a listener, what are you doing and where, <laughs> what rock have you been living under? <laughs> so
1: Yeah, we have, a, we have listeners in common. We have guests in common. (laughs) yeah uh you guys are doing a great job yeah food food in common common common. barbecue in common especially
0: well eric for those who may not know your full journey would you mind kind of talking uh to us about where you started and then how you got to where you are today
1: sure yeah i started well i started writing in 2012 but i've been sort of interested in food and dining and restaurants you know my entire life i grew up in houston you know, and I was lucky in a sense that my parents took us to nice restaurants growing up. So, you know, we went to the the usual, like the the Black Eyed Pea in the neighborhood Chinese restaurant, <laughs> and and all that kind of stuff. But we also went to, you know, Damien's and Ruggles Grill and the River Oaks Grill and and steakhouses and all this other stuff. So, even even as a as a teenager, you know, in in middle school, high school, whatever. I started to get um, a sense of, you know, better and worse in uh, restaurants and dining experiences. And then I went to college in Maine and I, you know, just through the process of kind of meeting people like, you know, found people that would like drive half an hour with me to go out for Thai food or, or, you know, we were in a pretty small town and the, the big city was about an hour away so you know if you wanted sushi you you really had to commit to it so but i but i had a group of friends where you know once a semester we would like plan it out like this is our night to go out for sushi and we would do that so you know then i i came back to houston and started working and and you know i i was always the friend of my you know everybody has like their regular places and sometimes you get sick of your regular places and you want to try something new inevitably i think in every friend group there's one friend that's like we don't know where to go. You care about this stuff. You pick. That's where we're going. So I was that friend for my friends. And then in about 2009, I guess, uh, eight or nine, I started, uh, you know, I signed on to Twitter. I started meeting people like uh, Michael Fulmer and Chris Reed. And and I found that I wasn't the only person like me. And uh, so that was, you know, that was a whole new world. And, you know, from there I kind of built – Connections in what would eventually become the local food community, and that's when Twitter was fun. Uh, I, I don't think Twitter's fun anymore. I think I think it's uh, it's just you have to be super careful about what you say and how you express yourself and and. You know, especially, you know, now that I'm a, um, I'm a public person, you know, I can't, I can't start fights with people anymore. But, but in the beginning, you know, if you had a strongly held opinion, you could, you could blow somebody up and and then it would all go away the next day and nobody really cared that much. But, but, you know, a lot of chefs were on Twitter back then, you know, Instagram wasn't really a thing yet. So it was a way to kind of get to know people. And there were meetups and activities and taco truck crawls and, and all that kind of stuff. And so you know, I started to get to know people and, and you know, I skipping over a lot of history, but it, but basically in, in 2012, I found myself, you know, um, unemployed back in school, like finally getting my bachelor's degree in my early 30s. And the editor of Eater Houston became available. And so friends of mine that knew that I could write a little bit because they'd read my You know, I'd done a couple of things for the Houston Press and and they'd read my stuff on, you know, message boards or whatever and kind of knew me, thought that that might be
0: an interesting option for me.
1: And I applied.
0: Because Twitter at the time was more conversation because there wasn't really like pictures or anything that you could post too much or video that you could post too much. So it'd be a good good sounding board for... (laughs) Well,
1: yeah, right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Twitter... Twitter, you know, this is when you had to like upload your photo to like TweetPick or whatever. <laughs> you know, this now is now we're showing our is, A's now. Sure. Yeah, this is I've been on I've been on social media for way too long. <laughs> and and frankly, just the quality of like what you could get with your phone wasn't very good. Right. So the idea of taking you know, taking a bunch of pictures and I don't even remember, you know, when I when I got serious when I signed on Instagram and, and started to get serious about it, but you know, somewhere in the, in the you know, 11, 12, 13 kind of ballpark. But so they thought that I would be an interesting applica- applicant for it. I really didn't have anything to lose, right? So right. I, and I, I mean, I think I demonstrated kind of a knowledge of the Houston food scene, right? A, a passion and an interest for mm. it. And, and frankly, they just, they didn't pay that much money. So they didn't really have that much to lose. So, you know, they, they gave me a job. And then all of a sudden I remember thinking when I started, like, what am I going to write about? Like, how do you find, they're like, you have to write however many things, two or three things every day. It's like, how am I going to find something to write about every day? That it turns out has never been a problem. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know it, but of course, 2012 was a great year. To start writing about food right That's the year that Underbelly Oxheart and provisions all open It's the year that Uchi comes to town So all of these kind of Things that had been bubbling up Right like Chris Shepard had left Catalan to open Underbelly You know Justin Yu and uh, Sarah, Seth Siegel Gardner and Terrence Gallivan Had been, had been pop ups You know they'd been kind of on the periphery Like they opened restaurants So <laughs> it was an exciting time And it just seems like Every year it gets a little bigger and a little better. And so I spent I spent about 14 months working for Eater. Uh, got enough notoriety.
2: That's right. <laughs> this is the only time we've sat outside and the only time a training's gone yeah. by. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, I spent about 14 months
1: working for Eater. I got enough notoriety that, you know, I kind of came on a Culture Maps radar there. The person who had kind of done their food coverage had moved on to the Chronicle. They had a couple of staff writers, uh, both of whom were vegetarians. So it's not that you can't be a good food writer and be a vegetarian. Right. It's just that that they, those two people personally, were not that interested in restaurants. And the management recognized that that was an important area of coverage. So they thought, you know, they'll bring me on. Uh, the obviously the salary was better. I got health insurance for the first yeah, time. That's good. <laughs> and so yeah, it was a great. It was a it was a good opportunity. And and I you know I read everything. I read the Houston Press, I read the Chronicle, I read Culture Map, I read Eater. I didn't really distinguish between them much in terms of influence or audience uh, but I will tell you that when I made the switch from Eater to Culture Map, you know, my mother was at the synagogue and one of the other women that she knows asked her about something that I had written and, and Eric Sandler, was that your son? That didn't happen at Eater, right? Culture Map has Culture Map had a had a bigger audience even even back then. It has a a substantially bigger audience, I suspect now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not knowing their numbers, but but being pretty aware of ours, and and so, you know, I've I've grown, right? The the site has grown, and I've been a driver of that growth. I, I I hope that that people consider us an essential source of news about what's going on in Houston's dining scene because that's I I do I work really hard to make us that. So I I hope that's how it's perceived.
2: But I think. For those who don't know, too, there's a Culture Map Houston. There's Culture Map other other states, right? Yeah, and so we're cities.
1: in so we're in we're in four other Texas cities: Austin, San Antonio,
0: Dallas, and Fort Worth. Okay. Uh, and when did when did Culture Map decide? All right, hey, we're gonna not necessarily change platforms. Sorry about the train to all of our <laughs> our listeners, um, but to add on the platform of a podcast. Right. So we were acquired
1: by. Gal Media towards the beginning of uh, 2017 okay and so or wait yes 2017 <laughs> and so so I I've been listening to podcasts for years at that point and you know the thing about Gal Media is they own ESPN 97.5 the sports talk station and they own SB Nation Radio which is a national uh, sports talk broadcast that goes to stations all over the country right so having access to uh, production studios and technical know-how, you know, as soon as the deal was finalized, I, I started asking uh, the management on our side, it's like, who do I talk to? How do I get, how do I start a podcast right. using these resources that are now available to me? And you know, so the answer was, well, you have to talk to the, the kind of the head technical guy, which is Brandon Strange. And then uh, the head of sales, who's Tard Farquaharson, and so I met with Brandon, and, and he said, "What are you? What is your vision for this podcast?" And I went, "Well, there's not like a weekly conversation about Houston restaurants, you know." And I listen to, you know, I listen to ESPN's Baseball Tonight with Buster Olney. I listen to uh, the Bill Simmons podcast. I right. listen to some of the food podcasts, like Special Sauce that um, Serious Eats does. And they're, you know, these kind of interview formats. And, and so like, you know, on Baseball Tonight, Buster Olney always has a, a guest and they rotate either by the day of the week or by what he's talking about. And he, he bounces ideas back and forth about the topics of the day with that guest. And then there's, you know, Bill Simmons has his buddies that come on with him. And, they, and then he has celebrity guests that come on and he talks to them. And, and seriously, it's you know, it's a different chef or restaurateur or someone in the food world. And so I just wanted to kind of bring these influences together. And put my own spin on it. So, and they said, and they said, so what do you call it? And I said, well, I mean, in my head, I've been calling it, "What's Eric eating?" And they, and and the, and so I met with Brandon, and and I laid that out for him, and he said, yeah, that that sounds sounds like you've thought about it. It sounds like you understand what you want to do. And then so I, I had a meeting with Todd, and and I laid it out for him, and he said, yeah, I think you know, I think that works, and and. Mm-hmm. You know, so they set me up with my producer, Michael Carroll, who does a whole bunch of the behind-the-scenes stuff for ESPN 97. five and NSP Nation Radio, and, and then I started reaching out to uh, the people who would become my, my co-hosts, uh, you know, Felice Sloan, and, and at the time, Nathan Ketchum, who, you know, he moved to Seattle, and, and then so That's Matt Harris came on, uh, you know, Linda Salinas was, was on board pretty early, uh, you know. Uh, Becky Masson was a guest on the show and had such a good time. I started bringing her in, so you know I had and Mary Clarkson from uh, originally of Le, La Olivier and now of Avondale Food and Wine. So you know friends of like and and the idea was that you know we would go out to dinner or whatever and we would have these conversations about the food world and nothing would ever nothing would ever come of it, right? right. Like I I I didn't have a I didn't have an outlet to share these insights necessarily. And, and these are all people who have some level of involvement in the restaurant world. And and so they, you know, they're opinionated people and they're articulate and they're interesting. And I thought people might be interested in, in what they have to say and what I have to say. And then, you know, I would do these interviews with chefs about their, their restaurants. And, and we would talk, you know, inevitably we'd talk for between 20 and 30 minutes and I transcribe that. And that's, you know, twenty five hundred words, which no one wants to read, and so it all gets kind of flattened in the like a six or seven hundred word article. A lot of which is my text. You get a, a couple of quotes in there, and then it's and then it's gone. But I I thought that that people might want to hear from the people. You know that that it, there might be an audience for people who would want to hear from them in more detail and in their own words, sure. right? Without you know it's not it's not filtered through anything you know we record we record them yes but we don't really edit them very much so you know if you get Ryan LaShane on the show he's going to drop a whole bunch of bombs. <laughs> yeah, right. and if you've ever and if you've ever gone to Riel and talked to Ryan for more than 5 minutes then you know that's how yeah. that's how he talks <laughs> yeah, yeah so uh it's been a really great it's been it's been a lot of fun i think there's about 126 or 7 episodes now and and i've hit most of the, the big names in Houston food at least once, and some of them have come back a few times, and, <laughs> and there's always someone new to talk about. And, and so, yeah, I, it's been, you know, we're, we're coming up on three years in April.
2: So do you find, because it's evolved from your writing, right, about food, do you find the podcast being more fulfilling, less fulfilling, about the same as writing, or do you have a preference?
1: Well, I, the podcast is fun because it's just like sit down and, and talk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the the size of the audience. There's there's no comparison, right? Sure. The the best articles go, I mean, viral or or reach an audience in a way that the podcast just never will. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, I'm never gonna be, you know, Bill Simmons or someone like that, <laughs> or or you, never you know, know, I uh, Dave Chang Dave Chang does a podcast on Bill Simmons Network oh, yeah. mm-hmm. that reaches millions and millions of people. Uh, you know, you know, I'm sure one of his episodes does more in downloads than than a whole year of mine, but. <laughs> Uh, but people, what what I like about it is that, is that the people who listen to it, you know, every week or, or more weeks than not feel like a really uh, personal connection to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, I was sick for a while and, and I didn't work for about a month in uh, 2019. And the first messages that I got weren't like, oh, we haven't seen you on Facebook or we haven't seen your articles in a few days. It was it was you know, I I went into the hospital on a Monday and then on Thursday it was it was podcast you know, that's when <laughs> right. the podcast came out. Thursday morning I started getting DMs from people that were Hey, what's going on? Like, where's the podcast this week? Right. Right. You know, who didn't know you were laid up who in didn't the know? Right. Because right, sure. I hadn't said anything. Sure. You know, uh, only a very, very small group of, you know, my employer, my, yeah. my close friends, my family knew what was going on. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in a position really to share it at that time. Yeah. And so I didn't tell anybody, I just disappeared, you know, put up and out of office and disappeared. Uh, but it, yeah, the the first messages were were podcast listeners wondering where the episode was. So
2: if I jump back to because you talked about when you grew up, you were you know you had the advantage of going out to different types of places, right? It kind of probably helped shape your path a little bit because you ate at River Oaks, you ate at Olive Garden, you ate at all kinds of places. Yeah. But did you see Houston back then? Did you experience Houston as the international food city it is now?
1: No, and
2: I, no, I didn't.
1: I didn't realize what was surrounding me. I I wasn't in charge of picking the restaurants really. Sure. You know, it wasn't until kind of college age that I, you know, I was reading Rob Walsh specifically in the Houston press and I started to get a sense of of the city's diversity. And and most of which for me in the in the very beginning meant, you know, going like discovering Gilhool well, is the wrong word, but but getting to experience like Gilhoolis or um, some of the African American restaurants, you know, my first visit to Frenchies, not that you know, but if you if you grow up like I did in Sugarland, then you know, nobody tells you that, oh, there's this really awesome fried chicken place That's and, right. Uh, by U of H, right? You someone has to tell you about that. So uh and barbecue, uh, you know, Thelma's, uh Pearson's, uh, Williams Smokehouse, yep. you know, that was kind of the the start of learning uh kind of get beyond Venture like out. the normal European-y River Oaks, sure. you know, inner loop and, and like American style Chinese food, which, you know, <laughs> is a stereotype uh, for Jewish people. But in, in my family, that, at least that stereotype is true. We ate, my we per- ate a lot of, and, yeah. and we, you know, even from Sugarland, we had different places we liked for different dishes. So, you know, there was one chicken dish that my father really loved. So we drove all the way to Missouri city just to eat that and, and then the rest of the stuff. But, you know, if we were at, you know, if we were uh, inside the loop for whatever reason, you know, then then there were other restaurants with other dishes and we would go there instead. So that, you know, that was a constant.
2: I think that's the way I approach barbecue now too, right? right. There's so much great barbecue in Houston and surrounding mm-hmm. areas for that matter. But I, there's one place I really love brisket. There's one place I really love the ribs. So I get it. I get how you you pick a place, you think, yeah, I feel like barbecue.
0: But we all kind of started with like Rudy's kind of being a standard, you know, like where you were like, hey, this is pretty damn good barbecue at one point in, in our lives. And it, and it was until there was, it was there was nothing else, right? Until yeah. until, you know, things started to change, you know. Right. I mean, I grew
1: up you know, I grew up in Sugar Lane, So I grew up going to Vasa's barbecue, yeah. you know, at, at Derry Ashford and, and Highway 90. And, you know, I thought that was fine. And yeah. then you go to good company and you're like, well, this is, this is clearly better than that. <laughs> and then you you go into Central Texas and you go to City Market in Luling or, or, or Kreitz or whatever, and and suddenly you realize, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, armed with the copy of the the top fifty, I, it must have been the, I think one came out in 2003. That may be the first time I really got a hold of the, yeah. of Texas Monthly and started doing some exploring. But, you know, then you start to realize, oh, well, this is clearly better. Yeah, but. <laughs> you know that's that's how it starts right and then and then when you you meet you know other people that that want to have these experiences then you you know then you're then you're on a taco truck crawl you're like you know starting at the 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 farmers market on on airline and then working your way down Long point and suddenly you're at the you're at the blue chicken bus you know i mean it it you know these were like very formative food experiences for me but i was already in my you know in my thirties i mean i didn't try sushi for the first time until i was in college, so you know, I don't. You know, I was probably in my twenties the first time I had crawfish. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily grow up with this stuff. But, but once I was introduced to it and, and got to experience it, I, I embraced it.
0: Is there a dish that you can remember that was maybe eye-opening, or or something that you were like, you know what, this is, this is, this is something different or you know kind of kind of a moment or anything like that 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 triggered something in you i mean i remember
1: being a little kid like eight or nine years old and my parents took us to anthony's which was tony valone's like not his not tony's which was the ultra fine dining but like a like a step below that so sort of continental continental cuisine still still formal you know still still very refined but I don't remember what the entree was or what our appetizer was, but we got to dessert and, and I had tiramisu for the first time, you know? And so this was, I mean, this is a long time ago, you know, there's a joke about tiramisu in the movie, uh, sleepless in Seattle that comes out in the, in the early nineties. And I think, uh, I think, uh, Uh, Tom, no, Tom, Tom Hanks Hanks says something like, she's going to want me to do it to her and I'm not going to know what it is. (laughs) Right. Well, I, I, I understood why that joke was funny because I knew that, you know, tiramisu wasn't like a sex act. Tiramisu is a dessert. (laughs) So, because I had, because I had already been eating it at that point. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say that, that dish as much as anything probably was, was like the first like real, like eye opener, like, Oh, this is,
0: this is something different. This is very delicious. The transition between, Written word to spoken. Were you nervous on your first podcast? Did you prepare? At you know, how did you get set up? Well, don't ask us how we did it because it was it's bullshit. <laughs> he didn't you know, so, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: I so I had had an so all right. So I had had an interest in radio for a long time. I had a music radio show in college, and I had been a guest, a, a monthly guest on the Cleverly Show for probably about three years, and also. You know, I've had uh, a monthly segment on Houston Matters called the Full Menu, with David Leftwich. Originally, it was Catherine Shulcutt. Now it's Felice. So, I had I had gotten some chops, you know. And yeah. I hadn't I hadn't hosted before, and I hadn't I hadn't set an agenda or, or planned out a an episode or anything. But but at least in terms of talking in front of a microphone, you know. And I even I even did a little bit of theater in college. I took some public speaking. So I. Felt confident in that side of things, in,
0: in the delivery side, that, that that would be okay. Yeah, mm. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, we're going to take a break, get a word from our sponsors. We'll come back at uh, part two. We'll talk about... More trains. More trains. In More the trains. Background. Yeah. I'm yeah. A, <laughs> we'll see. My son's going to love it. We're going to hate <laughs> it. But, um, so stick around. We'll be back at part two with uh, Eric Sandler. The Cost of Goods Told podcast is made possible by the following Sponsors. Criswell Culinary aims to create a new standard of unique, affordable hot sauces that satisfies the more developed cravings of today. Bernie Brand Texas-style hot sauce is a boldly layered sauce with density and personality to proudly represent Texas. Go to berniebrand.com to find a retailer near you. That's Bernie, B-O-E-R-N-E, brand.com. Zero Point Organics grows and supplies microgreens for over 30 major restaurants in the Houston area. Consistently perfect quality and flavor and appearance, their microgreens will be the best you or your customers have ever had every single time. Go to zero-pointorganics.com. Duke's Premium Meats Home Delivery is committed to providing you with the best quality meat delivered right to your door. Offering certified Angus beef, grass-fed beef, Wagyu, and many more premium options, nobody beats Duke's Meats. Make sure to check out all that Duke has to offer at dukespremiummeats.com.
2: Welcome back to the Cost of Goods Told podcast. I'm Darren Lafferty, joined as usual <laughs> with Chef Connor Moran. Uh, special guest today, as usual, Eric Sandler from Culture Map. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Man, it's, been, it's been a joy getting to know some of you from the Houston where you grew up in Sugarland, getting yeah. to know a little bit of your childhood. Went off to college in Maine. Yes, sir. Uh, studied not, so, food, not food.
1: So didn't so didn't graduate from the college in oh, Maine. Okay, sorry. studied studied history. Of, I have a degree in interdisciplinary studies from the University of Houston downtown, which makes me a proud Gator. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, uh, I'm I'm happy for you. <laughs> but so you you weren't. I mean, you your hobby was food. You ate at great restaurants. You expanded outside your comfort zone when it came to cuisine and different types of food. And then eventually you just turn that into a riding habit with Eater Houston, right? You jumped in there as a, as a rider, staff rider, and you've come up through the ranks. Um, you've you've got your chops. So what you said, you've got you've earned some chops along the way. <laughs> You're enjoying it. You're having it, a good time.
1: Oh yeah, nobody's. I I mean I I joke about it, but I I mean nobody's having more fun than I do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> are there any are there any downsides? Are there any burdens? Is there? And I'm gonna ask you one more. Is there any pressure? To being a food editor, food writer on both of those.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. Because
2: everyone thinks it's glamorous and they want your <laughs> job, but they don't really know.
1: Well, it's a funny thing, right? Everybody says, oh, you get to eat for a living. It's like, no, no. No, I get to, I get to write for a living. Right. And, you know, every morning I'm, you know, we, our city editor, Stephen Devadonim, you know, and I get on the G-chat and it's, you know, it's, it's what do you have today? Right. And I, I have to be able to answer that question you know every day yeah. and so that's so there's not you know it's not that there's you know a target or a quota or this or that but you know i'm expected to produce two articles a day five days a week wow on topics related to the the restaurant business and there are certain there are certain sort of monthly features right i mean the big one is the is the where to eat now column of new restaurants to try that comes out every month, usually about this time of the month. So I, you know, so I'm collecting them, you know, as soon as, as soon as one is written, I'm, I'm sort of looking at what's open and and what's coming and trying to sort of plan my, my time so that I get to these places. And and I try to hit a a pretty, you know, wide swath of the city. So, you know, everything from, you know, Tejas burger, like, you know, so, so I'm, I'm laying out the, the new one, and it's going to include everything from Tejas Burger up in Tomballs, yeah. you know, the new Cooper's Barbecue out in Katy. I'm going right. to have Garden Grace, the steakhouse downtown, and then a few other places. And, and so, you know, they all have to be visited and, sure. and sometimes more than once. And
2: You know, there, it's not all joy to have a food, to be a food writer, <laughs> to be an editor around food. I mean, you have to do the work, too. Um, is you find it difficult on certain days to be, because you have to be factual and it is sort of subjective with a, even with a trained palate, but do you find it hard to be creative around the writing subject of food or, or is that just come naturally for you or does that take years of practice?
1: I think, I, I think it, it, a little bit of it comes naturally and a little bit of it is that it takes, it takes practice. And, and usually, you know, I, this is, so this is an important distinction, right? I mean, my my primary role is reporter, right? Like what's going on in the food world today, okay. what's okay. open, what's closed, you know, what chef changed jobs that drives most of our coverage, okay. you know, and, and I really only express an opinion in that monthly where to eat now column. And so those, you know, those are longer, right? Because they cover, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 restaurants, and so they take longer to write. And also, you know, I don't have the benefit of an interview, a press release, or whatever, you know, I'm drawing on, you know, my my notes, my memories, my pictures from a visit to a restaurant. Right. So it's just a different so yeah, that that takes longer to do and and also, you know, I'm trying to I'm you know, I'm trying to make it useful to people and, and, and fundamentally I mean culture maps like a positive you know, sort of outlet. So I'm not, I'm not looking to rip anybody, but, but at the same time, we also want to be, you know, we want to be sort of fair and objective about the good and the bad of an experience. So, you know, if a dish, if a dish sucks, like, you know, we owe it to the readers to be like, don't order that. It sucks.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And that's, and that's fair. That's totally fair. And that's where I get to that. You know, there's so many publications, which are not, Culture map, which are uh, maybe a little looser, right? A little looser, right? Have the ability to shut restaurants down. Once they get a gang of people that Even jump, foodie on, groups, yeah, you know? jump yeah. on the bandwagon of this place sucked, and then you get 30 people jumping, you know, six months later, the guy's out of business or the, 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 the mom and pop or, or whatever it is. But my point is, there's a huge distinction distinguish between what you guys do, right, professionally, and what other people try to do to mimic what food critics do. And so I find that you guys do a great job of, of reporting the facts, number one. And I don't think I've ever heard you say anything about a restaurant opinionated unless we're talking about it or unless it's on the podcast. Right? Well, right.
1: So I, I express more of it. You know, we do kind of an audio restaurant review as one of the segments on the podcast. Yeah. And and then again, there's that, that monthly where to eat column where I express more of an opinion. I, I mean, I will say one of the things that, you know, if you – if you read a lot of the Yelp reviews or you read the Facebook foodie groups, you know the thing that the things that sort of get people the maddest are uh, service issues, right? Like they yeah. didn't refill my water glass, or they didn't see us quickly enough, or they didn't pay attention to us, or they didn't bring the check. It's very unusual, in my experience, to read like a like what's actually a review, like an assessment of the flavors and the way the dish is prepared sure. yeah. and the ingredients used. You know, you know the best you'll ever the the most you'll ever see from people is oh you know the it lacked flavor or it was bland or whatever and 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 you know Lord only knows what that means right right so yeah people are bad at that yeah and and they don't they don't you know they're not they're not professional they're not professional cooks they're not they're not trained writers they don't they don't think through kind of the aspects of that that would be important and they they dwell on kind of the sort of the petty yep. personal details of their their experience without you know because they're they're just complaining yeah i right. mean yeah, yeah. which is not a review right it's All it's, right. it's whining. <laughs> yeah to- uh well or i mean they, they might have a legitimate grievance but it's 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 not useful to people sure. it's not it's because that experience is not going to happen for other
2: people so i think this is a. I mean this is a question i'd like to ask you because if there's some advice Right, that mm. you could pass along to aspiring food critics, and then of course the people who just need to shut up. <laughs> what advice would you give to people to to help a restaurant survive as opposed to breaking down a restaurant in writing? Right. You know. Sure. Well,
1: I think I think the one thing, you know, the one thing is to be specific in your criticisms and keep it grounded in your own experience, and don't assume motivation and. And I think it's, if you'll forgive me, a sports analogy, right, if you look at a locker room for a team that's winning and they're joking around with each other and they're having a good time and they all seem like they get along, then we say that they're loose and they're not letting the pressure get to them. Yeah. And then if the team is losing and they have that attitude, then it's, oh, they don't care, right? right. right? And we do that in restaurants, right? If you have a bad experience, you, you know, oh, the staff ignored me, they didn't care about me. You know the chef is lazy or on drugs or what? You know all kinds of people write all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. None of that is probably true, right? If if you don't feel like the staff was paying enough attention to you, there's probably things going on behind the scenes that you may not perceive. Sure, sure. You may not understand. You know, uh, you know the way you know somebody called out or they're short of cook or. You know, there's always things kind of so so. Don't assume bad faith, give right? The, people, give, them the of the doubt. give them the benefit of the doubt. People, people get into this business, you know, it's, it's a, the restaurant business is hard. Yeah. You know, it's extremely demanding on your time. It's, it's, not, it's not like a highly profitable endeavor. <laughs> and so people get into it because they feel sort of compelled to, to serve other people and to, mm-hmm. to show them a good time. And so, you know, if you, if you give them, most of the time, if you are not enjoying your meal... And you bring that to the restaurant's attention, they will typically do what they can to try to fix it. Totally so, agree.
2: They want that opportunity, don't they? Absolutely. They don't want you to go on to Facebook, Twitter, Yelp, and rip them.
1: No, they oh. would. They would much rather have the opportunity to address it in the dining room, you know, in the moment. But people aren't confrontational, and and I and I understand that. And and I've been it. And I've been in restaurants where. You're having this meal, and it's not going well, and you just kind of look around and it's just like it just feels like they don't maybe they don't get it you know it's they definitely. got in the business without enough preparation they they don't kind of understand what they're doing and and even if you were sort of articulate and specific, like would they be able to act on that right. and improve you know probably not, and so I just kind of shrug my shoulders and move on
2: i draw i do. <laughs> My, so my wife is accustomed to it. I'm 25 years in the food service business. I pride myself on providing great customer service. And I also, when I don't receive great customer service, I'm good at giving cons, um, constructive criticism. And that means I'm having a one-on-one conversation with the manager saying, hey, we came here. We thought we were going to have a great time. This, this, and this was really good. And these couple things were not so good. I just wanted to let you know, and this is already after I paid the check, right? I'm not. I have no motivation to walk out. Right, you're not. You're not years. looking for a handout. No, of course not. But I want that owner okay. to be successful. So I figured he'd want to have that feedback, and it sounds like you would agree that anytime they have the opportunity to fix something, they will.
1: In my experience, that is the case. I would agree. Ninety five percent of the time.
0: I'm going to piggyback on your question a little bit and ask uh, a two parter. One what are some of the characteristics that you think a good food writer needs to have or someone who's going to talk about food? Um, because I think, you know, like you you know, you see everybody. They, they see the movie Chef, and they think, oh, I could be a chef. Or they see Anthony Bourdain, and, oh, I can talk about food. Well, you can only say this is good so many times before I start tuning you out because you haven't used a descriptor <laughs> or you can't articulate the experience that you had in, a, in an intriguing way, which is completely different.
1: Right. You need to be able to understand not just it's good or it's bad, but what makes it good? What about the components make it compelling? What about, you know, if, you know, if you walk in it, I mean, I remember walking into Nobe's for the first time with, with a friend of mine and and we just looked at each other and go, this place is cool. It's like, okay, what about it is cool? Well, there's, you know, vintage sound system, you know, a staff that makes you feel welcome. The wood paneling is kind of retro and fun you know, you need to be able to articulate the, the things that that make up the components of your experience, both in terms of the, you know, the service, the atmosphere, the food, whatever. And then the other thing is you need to understand that there's a there's a huge difference between I don't like this and this is bad. Right. And I, I know there are certain dishes that I just don't care for, you know, but... But that doesn't mean that it's bad. Right. It it, That's right. it could be technically correct and and you know, it could be cooked properly and it and it could be it could be served at the proper temperature and, and all of these other things and and I just don't like it. Okay. Right. And so you need to you need to be able to if you're gonna write about food specifically or, or a dining experience specifically, you need to be able to separate those two things. Great point.
0: Uh, So the second part of that would be, since you've interviewed so many people in the industry, are there traits and characteristics that you have seen amongst your guests that kind of, you know, uh, not necessarily translate across all borders, but like you, 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 you see this and then it's like, okay, I know that this is going to be either successful or I know that this is a characteristic that most guys have in the industry.
1: You know, I, I am, not great at predicting the success or failure of restaurants (laughs) i have i have been to places where i thought uh this isn't gonna last and it stays open for a long time and i have been to places where i thought oh i people are going to be so excited about this place it's going to do great and then it bombs and i i you know and and sometimes i mean sometimes you go to a place and you're like Oh, I think this is going to I think this is going to work and I I felt that way about Nobies, and I, and I felt that way about some other places but you know, or or I went to Nancy's hustle really early on and I you know, it's like, "Oh, this is good." Now, did I know that it was going to be a phenomenon and that you know, they've been in business for 2 years and you still can't get a table on it? You know, <laughs> right. you still going to book your Friday night a month in advance? Like, "No, I you know." You could tell but, us that you knew. You could I, go ahead and say that. I mean, you know, I I I knew that they were I knew that the the chef and and Jason the chef and Sean the front of the house guy were experienced and thoughtful and had worked really hard to get to this moment and they were going to put everything into making it a success. But I I would not have told you necessarily that it would be the kind of place where suddenly everybody was talking about it and that it would sustain that momentum now two years into its existence. So, you know... uh, you know, I, I never like I never would have thought the pass and provisions was gonna close. Yeah. Right? That that came as a as a surprise because I you know, Seth and Terrence are two of the, the smartest, most thoughtful, you know, best trained cooks who have come to Houston to open a restaurant.
0: Do you think the Houston restaurant scene is on par with the hype that it's got, or do you think it's growing to the hype that it's got?
1: Well, I think the hype is justified. I mean, I think you know, and I don't I don't get to travel as much as I would like to, but you know, and we may not have like the equivalent of a, a three star Michelin restaurant. Right. We may not have like ultra fine dining or or but I don't even know that we really need that to be because, you know, when I talk to chefs that visit here, right? The, the places that they get excited, you know, they get excited about going for via Cajun crawfish yeah. or they get excited about barbecue or they get excited about, you know, Himalaya or what's going and what else is going on on Hillcroft. So, you know, we are, we are defined by our diversity and then the, the more high end restaurants that sort of absorb those influences and find something creative to say based on those influences are the restaurants that seem to catch fire and to to build an audience so you know I, I think I think the hype is is legit I in some ways I kind of wish I kind of wish it got even more attention <laughs> for people you know I mean you know I ranked Riel as the number one restaurant in Houston in my mm. top 100 restaurants um, you know 90% percent of that is because I think it's an outstanding you know I, I feel very comfortable sending anyone there you know, for a date night, for a special occasion, for a weeknight dinner, for a business meet, like for any occasion, I think, I think you will have a great experience at Riel. But also because I felt like it wasn't, you know, I didn't see any other people in the media that held it in the same regard that I did. And so if I shine the spotlight on it, you know, maybe I can, I can start to drive some of that conversation, then maybe it gets a little more attention from, uh, some of this national press that seems to come through yeah. town every now and then.
2: And I was going to say, it sounds like after so after we've talked for thirty or forty five minutes, it sounds like you. So, and I'm going to say this in all seriousness: you take this job very serious. I, I take <laughs> my job very seriously. <laughs> and with that being said, you want the city to have the recognition that it deserves, mm-hmm. right?
0: Absolutely, uh, absolutely. And, and, and I
2: think it's going to continue to evolve, right, with restaurants and chefs and cuisine along that topic of evolving, right? First of all, what part of town, I'm not asking for a restaurant because I don't want you to slap (laughs) any babies in the face, but what part of town do you really enjoy on a regular basis? (laughs) And then the second part of that is, what do you think's coming in the next five to 10 years for the Houston food scene?
1: Well, I live in Montrose. So, (laughs) you know, I still love eating in Montrose and it it feels like it gets, every time I feel like, oh, like we're good. You know, just in the last... Six months, you know, we added, we added candente, we added the toasted coconut, we added Rosie cannonball, even national stuff, you know, we added sweet green, which, you know, is this juggernaut salad concept that, that came here from, uh, from the coast. So, you know, I still think Montrose is kind of the epicenter of creative dining in Houston, yeah. Uh, with the heights kind of following right behind it. And then, you know, for high-end, you know, sort of imported concepts from out of town, you know, the stuff around the gallery is really hard to beat for that kind of stuff. But, sure.
2: I mean, that's a place to be, right? Everybody wants to be in the gallery if they can afford it. Well, yeah, I mean, it, the, they deserve to be there.
1: Well, right. I mean, the tourists, you know, the tourists, I mean, just look at the number of hotels, right? The And, and the number of high-rises being built in that area. I mean, the, the, the financial resources of the people in that area sure. are... Not to be ignored, and so I mean, you know, better look said, at look at, look at the, front the look at the look at the Lamborghinis parked out in front of Stake Forty Eight every night, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, that money's got to go somewhere. So, it,
2: uh, what do you so? What do you think is coming in the next five to ten years? And look, your crystal ball is better than mine. <laughs> but what do you think? Well, or maybe maybe what would you like to see in the next five to ten years?
1: Well, I, I mean, so I, I mean, I would like to see. Local, I mean, locally, right? I want to see, kind of, what we have, right? I want to see the people who have worked for, you know, Chris Shepard, Justin Yu, Seth and Terrence, Hugo Ortega, you know, Roberto Grande, et cetera, et cetera, right? I want to see like what the next generation of those people sure. do, right? I want, I want to, uh, you know, I want someone to tell me about, oh, you're going to love this place. The guy worked at Nobies and Nancy's Hustle. And has this really cool idea for a restaurant that does this, that, and the other thing, and they're going to do it, and you know, and they're going to open up in Bel Air because the rent's cheap. But you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna want to drive there anyway, and and you know, so I want that. Yeah, very you know. Cool. And then I think the other thing is, you know, out of town restaurant groups are going to continue to see opportunity here because for all the people complain about oh the real estate's so expensive or or whatever, I mean, I remember I met. I met Sam Fox when North was opening in the Galleria, and you know all anybody could talk about Boulevard Place was how expensive the real estate was right. and what the what the price per square foot was and and all this stuff. And I and I sort of sort of threw that at him, and I was like, you know, you know, this is like pretty expensive real estate. You know, can you turn a profit here? And he said, well, you know, we're in we're in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we're in you know Los Angeles, and we're in San Diego, and and all these other places. And so he just said, you know. This works in our model, and and so, you know these these well funded, yeah. expanding out of town restaurant groups. You know whether that's Shake Shack or Sweet. You know like at the low end, like Shake Shack and Sweet Green, or or at the high end, you know the high hospitality. The group behind Uchi is opening two new restaurants here in the next uh, twelve to eighteen months, and and I think we're going to see more of that. You know, show yeah. me the, you know talk talk to me about a guy like Aaron Bludorn who worked at Cafe Bleu in New York for 7 years you know married a woman who grew up in Houston and 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 so like sees opportunity here that's different than what he could like he could have stayed in New York he could have opened his own place sure. working for Daniel Bleu basically makes him you know bulletproof in right. terms of his reputation and his prospects but but he sees opportunity here and so let's get you know find me the next wave of guys like that who have worked in San Francisco, New York, LA, whatever that are like, I don't want to, I don't want to pay. I don't want to pay their taxes. I don't want to pay their, (laughs) their labor, their minimum wage, you know, but I want an educated dining public. I want people who will be really excited about my vision. You know, those men and women. I mean, I, you know, there's a chef, you know, Kara Stadler in, in Brunswick, Maine is a food and wine, best new chef, uh, a James Beard semi-finalist, her sister, she's been on Indie Chefs Week. Her sister's a professor at Rice. You know, I, I make trips to Maine occasionally. We have family up there. I've eaten at her restaurant, which is called Tawan. It's like, come here, yeah. right? We'll, <laughs> yeah. I like, I will figure out like, I, I don't, I don't know how people finance restaurants, but I will talk to the people who, who do know that and we will find you the money to open here. Uh, you know, she says it's too hot. Well, all right. Well, give me one of your, your sous chefs that's ready for an opportunity. Like, let's bring your, sure like, super creative modern Chinese food to Houston because we don't really have that yet. Right. You know.
2: Um, that's cool. That's cool that you've taken that opportunity, though, too, to connect the dots, right? Because well, you yeah. have those relationships.
1: Well, and she came here for Indie Chefs Week, so I got, I got the chance to meet okay. her when she was in town and, and got to talk to her a little bit. And so, you know, when I went back to Maine, I sought that restaurant out. It was like, oh, hey, good to see you. Like, surprise. <laughs> Here I am. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, so I think we'll see more of that. And, and who knows? I mean, I never would have guessed, you know, when I started in, in 2012, I never would have guessed that we'd be where we are now. Got so it. It, it's hard to predict where we'll be five years from now because – Mm-hmm. It changes so fast, but but I do think that we will see an expansion and a democratization in terms of which parts of the city get to have these kind of dining experiences, right? Like Asia Asiatown is the place for, like, cool Asian restaurants, yeah. right? Like, I want Fat Eatery inside the loop, <laughs> sure. right? Or, yeah. you know, they're about to get Tim Ho Wan, this, like, Michelin-starred dim sum restaurant from, from Hong Kong. You know, that's not going to... That's not that's not coming inside the loop. It's going to Katy because they, you know, for all the reasons that they think the demographics are a better fit for them out there. I live Uh, out in
0: Katy, so leave them alone. Don't don't tell them to come into the loop, please. Well, but I'm going to be well. I mean, I'm going to
1: be driving to Katy to try that restaurant. Yeah, and if it's good, then you know I might be driving out there quarterly for that (laughs) good
2: sum instead of going to somewhere on Bel Air. Your mileage report just went up for cold. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Right. whatever it takes. Well, Darren
0: said that you had connected the dots for different (laughs) cultural events or different. Cuisines and so forth, but you've also connected the dots for a lot of restaurant tours. Most recently, uh, Fluff Bake Bar with their new location, and then um, Burger Chan Willet and Diane um, connecting them with a second location. You know, not necessarily like facilitating it. You but did the work, y- y- but- you know, you- right? I right. <laughs> I mean,
1: I not. I'm not. I'm not negotiating leases for people. Right. You know, I can't. I don't know anybody's financial details. Right, right, right. You know, it's not. It's not for me to say whether. This works for both parties. But, you know, I'm fortunate in the sense that Braun Enterprises bought the office building where our offices are. <laughs> and I know those guys because they've done a bunch of projects with a bunch of restaurants. And they said, well, do you know anyone that might be interested in a second location? Sure. And I knew that Diane and Willett had been looking around. And so, you know, I said, here's the kind, like, here's an email, right? You meet you and you meet you and you guys talk. And if it works out great, and so, yeah. Long story short, I got a Burger Chan in my office. Uh, <laughs> which you know, works out great. which works out great for, <laughs> for me, everybody. <laughs> everybody. right? right. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't do that for anything other than uh, anything other than I I want more cool restaurants in Houston. Sure, right? And so, and you know, you know, Politon Row, the food hall. You know, I. I gave, you know, they, they contacted me and I, I gave them some ideas of people to talk to. And, and so I take partial credit for one of the vendors in Politan Row. Um, and I know they talked to some other people and, and the timing wasn't right for, for this or for that, but maybe they'll get in there eventually. I mean, I love bringing people together. It's, it's, one, of the, it's one of the fun parts of this, this job sure. is getting to connect people. That's cool. That's very
0: awesome. awesome. Well, we've taken up a lot of your time, Eric. We really appreciate it. We are going to do a quick fire. Not quite your quick fire. We're going to do some different uh, questions.
2: But just for the record, we did steal it from you. We did, yes. Oh, well, I stole it from somebody else,
0: so <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, some of these are just going to be the first thing that comes to your mind. Other things you can elaborate more if you want to. But All right, hold on. I'm going I'm to have a sip of this beer here. There we go. All right, Eric. Um, first one, do you ever get tired of eating out? No. First thing that comes to mind when I say dim sum.
1: Ooh, well I just went to Regal Seafood yesterday, so I guess that's gonna for uh, Chef Farah for his birthday. So that's gonna be nice. That that's yeah.
0: Any favorite dishes that like um, for me it's the tashu bao. Like I have to get it's that 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 bun with the barbecue pork in it. You so know? we got we got
1: one of those. I I always have to get shumai. Okay. Uh, I always have to get high which are the, the little shrimp dumplings, and I like that shrimp noodle thing. Okay, <laughs> I always got to get that.
0: Um. Apocalypse is going to happen. No one believes you. So you get to go out and have a dinner last night. Where are you going or what are you having? I mean, you know, the, so my, I mean, like, you know,
1: your death row meal or whatever. Right. I, mean, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I always say my mother's brisket, right? Cause that, you know, there's not like a more emotionally comforting uh-huh. food emotional. that I yeah, would yeah. ever eat, uh, than that. Uh, if it had to be a restaurant, I mean, I don't know, you know, probably, uh, you know, probably an omakase, a kata robata, something like that. Or, or man, I mean, you know, or I'd go up to Trish and just let shit off. Chef Austin, <laughs> Chef Austin, bury me and me. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: No one hold his feet to the fire. These are just off the cuff. Right. Uh, dumplings or ravioli? Oh, dumplings. Grilled cheese or mac and cheese? Uh, neither. <laughs> gas station sushi or durian? <laughs> <laughs> uh, gas station sushi. Okay. Uh, favorite bar drink? old-fashioned smoked mo- or unsmoked
1: i don't need it to be smoked i okay. just want to i want to be able to taste the rye with the bitters and okay. the
0: and the sugar the movie chef or ratatouille ooh uh, ratatouille would you rather give up fries or pizza fries would you rather eat pizza for breakfast or pancakes for dinner for the rest of your life pizza for breakfast <laughs> and would you give up bagels for a year or pasta for a year that's mean. Uh, I would give up
2: bagels before pasta, wow.
1: but it, they both would be unpleasant. I would miss them both.
2: And for all your female friends, boxers, briefs, or commando? <laughs> Depends on where I am in my laundry cycle. <laughs> <laughs> last, last thing, anybody you want to give a shout-out to? Anybody you want to say thank you to? I mean, there's probably so many, but is there anybody who's helped you, picked you up, lifted you up, encouraged you that you just want to give a shout-out to?
1: I mean, you know, I, I get a ton of support every day from my city editor, Stephen Devadonim, uh, from our editorial director, Arden Ward, and from our, our CEO, David Gao, who every time he, he walks past my desk with a, like an advertiser or visitor goes, oh, yeah, we got Culture Map mostly so we could get Eric Sandler on the team, <laughs> which is, is not true but is, is very kind of him to say.
0: Well, awesome, Eric. We uh we've got a bunch of people who are actually coming here since um Blake is in town. We invited a bunch of people, but you can see uh Willet and Diane are here. We were just talking about y'all, just so you know you're on. But they're here. Um so anyways, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast and taking so much time for us. Um I'd wish you more success, but you've got a lot of success. <laughs> it's it's apparent that things are it's a are heavy continue. burden to carry. I know, right?
1: <laughs> you know, it's it's thank you for that. It's it's I mean, yes, there's, there's pressure every day, but, I, I mean, I really love what I do. I, I feel very blessed to be able to do it, and, you know, I tell people I'm not, I'm not so far removed from my, like, shitty paralegal days working in a cubicle, like, not to feel, <laughs> yeah. you know, grateful for this opportunity that I have. It's a so. good
2: reminder, though, isn't it? It's a great reminder. Cube life is terrible. Yeah. Well, listen, we're a fan of your show. That's why we asked you to come on. We, we appreciate your time. Wish you much success, and we'll see you again for another beer.
0: Thanks very much. For anybody who's subscribed to this podcast and for some reasons not subscribed to Eric Skill over and correct that atrocity right now.
2: What, what Eric's eating?
0: What's Eric's eating? At Eric Sandler on Instagram. Perfect. Uh, Check out Culture Map as well. All the articles up there. Two a day, apparently. So from Eric (laughs) himself. (laughs) Uh, Don't forget to like and subscribe. Five stars, five stars. We're out. The Cost of Goods Told podcast is made possible by the following sponsors. Zero Point Organics grows and supplies microgreens for over 30 major restaurants in the Houston area. Consistently perfect quality and flavor and appearance. Their microgreens will be the best you or your customers have ever had every single time. Go to zero-pointorganics.com. Z-E-R-O, Duke's Premium Meats Home Delivery is committed to providing you with the best quality meat delivered right to your door. Offering certified Angus beef, grass-fed beef, Wagyu, and many more premium options, nobody beats Duke's Meats. Make sure to check out all that Duke has to offer at dukespremiummeats.com. Criswell Culinary aims to create a new standard of unique, affordable hot sauces that satisfies the more developed cravings of today. Bernie Brand Texas-style hot sauce is a boldly layered sauce with density and personality to proudly represent Texas. Go to berniebrand.com to find a retailer near you. That's Bernie, B-O-E-R-N-E, brand.com.